the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses raised, heads bowed down. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hi, everybody. And one of the attorneys in our office. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Jose Ascarrio, one of the attorneys at Connors & Sullivan. Okay, one now for the... One of our favorite attorneys, Mike. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, don't pick favorites. So, okay, those of you who okay. don't know the show, you know, the first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk about politics, history, nostalgia. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about nostalgia. We're going to be talking to Julie Newmar, the cat woman on the old Batman TV series. And, of course, she was in a lot of films. great. And she was in a lot of films besides that. And, you know, talking a little bit more seriously, we're going to be talking about politics with Ryan Lovelace, a reporter for the National Law Journal. His book out, Search and Destroy, Inside the Campaign Against Brett Kavanaugh. But first, let's get back to uh, estate planning and elder law. Osias, do you have a question for us? Yes, Mr. Connors. Could you please explain the difference between what is a state administration, probate proceedings, and also I've heard about... Voluntary administration, what do they mean? Okay, well, basically, those, if you pass away with assets in your name alone, your assets get administered through the court. I'm going to start with the the last one first, voluntary administration. If the assets in your name alone are less than $30,000, and what does that mean? Like if you have a checking account in your name alone for $29,000, or maybe you have a, a checking account for 5000 a car that's worth 10000 so forth and so on, Depending on the circumstance, you have the option of going through voluntary letters, which is a, a simplified probate. But even there, it's it's paperwork, and you have to know who all the relatives are, and sometimes that's a problem. So that's voluntary administration, probate. If you have a will and you die with assets in your name alone with the will, the will ordinarily has to go through probate, which means that everybody who's your next of kin by law has to be contacted, not just contacted. They have to be given copies of your will. You either sign a consent to the will or you get issued a citation saying why you object to the will or don't object to the will, so forth and so on. That is court administration. Sometimes probate, if somebody's not going to be cooperative, if they contest the will or if there are problems with how the will was drawn up. And a lot of times people now are taking wills and they're in effect drawing up their own wills through help through the internet or whatever and their problems. And sometimes going through probate could take years and years. 
a state administration. Well, if you have no will, the state of New York writes a will for you, and the assets in your name alone get distributed according to a New York State formula. Now, most of the time, it's going to be the same people, but not always. For the sake of argument, if you have children, yes, your estate's going to be divided equally among your children. It's a little bit of paperwork. One of them has to be bonded. One has to apply to be the administrator of the estate. Again, it's paperwork. It goes through court. But sometimes unintended reactions could have. Let's say you have brothers and sisters, but you have a half-brother, a half-sister you haven't seen in 30, 40 years. Well, assuming you have no children, you're not married, your parents and grandparents are gone, well, then your half-brother and sister is one of your next of kin. And maybe you want that, maybe you don't. But there, I can tell you there are a lot of times people pass away without wills, and somebody who's a half-brother or sister who's barely in the family, barely known, gets a share of the estate because somebody didn't plan things out, somebody didn't have a will. And, you know, even sometimes what can cause a problem, somebody dies, let's say husband dies, house is in his name alone, he's got a wife and kids, some of the kids are underage, wife wants to sell the house, she's got a problem, she's got to go to court, she's got to get get appointed administrator of the estate, but then those kids, they own part of that house. So hopefully we should never have to go through administration, we always have a will, and if we plan things out in advance, we don't have to go through court, you avoid going through court, you avoid probate, you avoid estate administration, when you pass away, there are virtually no assets in your name alone when you pass away. And if you go to one of our seminars, which we're going to have seminars the end of uh, September, you can learn how to avoid probate, how to avoid going through court. Now, Beth, you have a question also. What is it? Well, this is also timely. I know on the news you've had the people saying, well, why are are wealthy people leaving New York State and going to Florida and Texas? This question is from Lauren. I keep hearing when a person dies, there is an estate tax. What is an estate tax? Who pays the estate tax? Okay, basically an estate tax is kind of like a death tax. When you pass away, if there are assets that you have and your net worth, now in New York it's it's fairly liberal. If your net worth is less than $5,740,000, you do not owe an estate a death tax in New York. And federally the amount is $11,400,000. So if you're under those numbers, you do not owe an estate tax. Now, whatever you leave to charity is not taxed. Whatever you leave to a spouse, assuming they're a U.S. citizen, is not taxed. But where some people, and this is why some people move to Florida, let's say for the sake of argument, you have roughly about a $6 million estate. You're a New York resident. You're single. You're not leaving assets to a spouse. You're not leaving major assets to a charity. You have a $6 million estate. You pass away your heirs through the estate, and that's who pays the tax, technically your estate. They owe a tax of roughly about $400,000. That's outrageous, but that's what it is. So if somebody dies with, let's say they're single with a $6 million estate, the estate tax imposed by New York is $400,000. Now, under the same circumstances, if you go to Florida, there's no death tax, there's no estate tax. So that's why some wealthy people move to Florida. And again, if you have $6 million in assets, you can choose where you live. Getting back to, you know, in the old days, if you had your driver's license, your tax return, your library card, so forth, in the right place, you were a resident of that place. Today, it's not that easy. If you want to be a Florida resident, you better be a Florida resident. You better spend more than 182 days a year in Florida if you want to be a Florida resident. It's not just going back by you know what your driver's license says, what your tax return says. It's not based on that. It's where do you really live. And you know the taxing authorities can tell you where you live. They pick up your, your cell phone calls. Where did you get a call from? Where did you call out of? Where did you log on to your computer? 
your car? Did it go through Easy Pass? And there's so many things, and you might be able to dance around one or two things, but for the most part, the taxing authorities know where you live. They know where you make your cell phones. They may know where you make your credit card charges from. They know when you log on to your computer. They know when you go through an Easy Pass lane. And, you know, they probably even have your picture a few of those times you go through the Easy Pass lane. Or if not, let's say you're just, if they're really out to get you, let's say you're driving from Staten Island to Brooklyn, the Marine Park Bridge, they probably have your picture about 10 times driving on that stretch of road. Again, if you want to be a Florida resident, move to Florida. And I don't discourage anybody from doing that. But also, make sure you don't go through probate so you don't get picked up by New York State. Are you really a Florida resident or not? The state taxes, again, if you're under $5,740,000, New York resident, there's no tax. There's also no tax between husband and wife, both U.S. citizens. So the question is, if you have more than $5,740,000, you need to do some tax planning. If you want to do your planning with us, you're more than welcome to do it. Again, we're going to be advertising our seminars at the end of the show. If you want to show up at one of the seminars and schedule an appointment from there, you're more than welcome. Now, we're going to be taking a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors and Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors and Sullivan's free seminars. On Tuesday, September 24th at Lenny's Clam Bar, 161-03, Cross Bay Boulevard in Howard Beach at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. On Wednesday, September 25th at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. at Connolly's Corner, 71 dash 17 Grand Avenue in Masspeth and on Friday, September 27th at the Adria, 221-17 Northern Boulevard in Bayside at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500. 6500. That's Connors and Sullivan. 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. That's connorsandsullivan.com. Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors and Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Connors and Sullivan. Plan now for later. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person, I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Now, each week, Kevin McCullough, he takes a question from our listeners, 
And he asked that question on his radio show, which you can hear on 970 The Answer from Monday through Friday at 5 o'clock, an extended hour on Wednesdays when he has John Katzmatidis on the show. And he's also on WMCA The Mission Monday through Friday at 3 o'clock. He's also now got a weekend show, and I'm not even sure what time that is. We've got to look that up, Chris. So anyway, let's give it to Kevin. Take it away, Kevin. Hi, Kevin McCullough. You know what it means. It's time to get a question answered from none other than Mike Connors of Connors and Sullivan Law Firm, the number one authority, I think, in all of America when it comes to estate law and elder care. What you need to know, when you need to know it, that's exactly who Connors and Sullivan are, and that's why Mike Connors joins us to answer a question each week. Mike, this week's question, Kate writes, my husband passed away several years ago, and his name is still on the deed with mine. Do I really need to change it? Mike Connors. Well, the short answer is no. You know, let's say you have a deed. It says John Smith and Mary Smith, his wife. Husband dies. House automatically passes to wife, the surviving spouse. So she really doesn't have to do anything. She can show up at a closing with a copy of the death certificate and the deed and close on the property. The thing is, for her planning, she may want to change that deed to put into a trust to protect her children in the future. But the, the short answer is no. And I get this all the time. You know, my spouse died a few years ago. His or her name still on the deed. Do I need to change it? No. For your planning, you may want to change the deed someday, but not. You can go to a closing with a death certificate and deed, and there's no problem. All right. That seems like a pretty simple solution. Friends, maybe you have a more complex one. That's why the good people at Connors & Sullivan are standing by to help you right now. 718-238-6500 is the number, 718-238-6500. And if you'd like to get a question answered by Mr. Connors, send him a note. AskMikeConnors at gmail.com. AskMikeConnors at gmail.com. You'll hear him answer a question similar to this one on my show, Kevin McCullough Radio, or on his own show, Saturday mornings at 8 on AM 570 The Mission and FM 102.3 WMCA or AM 970 The Answer starting at 11 on Sundays. Mike Connors, thanks so much. Thanks again, Kevin. Beth, we were driving home this weekend and, you know, we're listening to the radio about 11 o'clock on Saturday night and it, it there was an announcement on one of the radio stations here that uh, there were accusations of Brett Kavanaugh and they made it sound like this is the end. Now they got the guy. You know, he's going to be impeached. Yeah. It was like brand new accusations. It was the same old stuff from before that the FBI couldn't corroborate, so they just, you know, said there's nothing here. And it's well, not so only old. that, according to our, our next guest, there, there was no corroboration for the story. There's not even an accuser. No. The accuser doesn't even No, She didn't want to talk to him. There is no accuser. There, no. The the fellow that says that there that he did the, this to this girl, she says, I don't remember. Any, her friends are saying she doesn't know basically what he's talking about. And the guy, the attorney that's talking about all this won't even talk to reporters or he wouldn't talk to the FBI. So the New, York what, Times, he, the New York Times did issue a retraction, but who saw it? I didn't see it this morning. Nobody saw it. And the guy, the this lawyer down in D.C., that's the one that brought this all up, was on the other he was taking care of Clinton with the sex scandals and Brett Cav Brett Kavanaugh was working with on the other side so he just doesn't like Brett Kavanaugh so anyway one of the latest guests in our show is going to be Ryan Lovelace reporter for the National Law Journal and he's got a book out search and destroy inside the campaign against Brett Kavanaugh the other guest that we have uh, today is Julie Newmar 
Julie Newmar, you know, I think most people remember from Catwoman on Batman, but she had a, a you know a number of interesting films over the years, uh, including we're talking about one of the films which I know is is your favorite, Beth McKenna's Gold. No, that's not that's not what I wanted to talk about. Okay, well she talks about it because she said there were more Academy Award winners in that movie than any other western. I don't I haven't checked that out yet. I've got to look at the you know, I got to look like at the I like Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Yeah, but that I That was before she was Julie Newmar, but she's singing and dancing. She's she's very very good. We're going to take a short break. When we'll be back, we'll be listening to Ryan Lovelace about Brett Kavanaugh and Julie Newmar. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress, a government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. When a desperate parent calls YCS, seeking help for their child with special needs, we are there to answer the call. Our staff provides compassionate care to children affected by trauma, autism, or developmental disabilities. Can you help us provide the services needed to keep families together? Find out how you, your company, or organization can volunteer. Learn more at YCS.org. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. 
Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Our next guest is a reporter for the National Law Journal, Ryan Lovelace, and he has a book out, Search and Destroy, Inside the Campaign Against Brett Kavanaugh. Welcome to Connors Corner. Thanks for having me. You know, just recently in the New York Times, we heard another allegation at Brett Kavanaugh. Can you go through that or what happened? Sure. So really the impetus for this latest allegation is the release of a new book by a couple of reporters at the New York Times named Robin Pogerbin and Kate Kelly. And what they say happened is that a man approached um, folks in the Senate and in law enforcement and said um, that he had heard about Brett Kavanaugh with his pants down and having his pants with his pants down then being shoved into someone else. And that someone else has failed to confirm this allegation. That other person has not come forward and said this happened. She's actually gone around telling other people that she doesn't want any part of this, that this doesn't involve her. And yet what the New York Times did was rather than include that full context, they included an excerpt from this book in their paper that just said there's a new allegation out there. And it spawned all of these you know, new calls for impeachment from Senate Democrats. And it really traded up the chain in the same way that so many of these allegations did last year, which is one of the things that I tried to report out in Search and Destroy, is to show folks just how the media narrative was crafted in this way. Well, what was the truth of this New York Times story? Well, thus far, what the New York Times has done is gone back and said, we need to run a correction, and the correction needs to explain that, in fact, the alleged victim doesn't recall even this ever happening. And so to the extent that we're able to know the truth at this point in time, the alleged victim says this didn't happen. The man who's made this accusation is not now wanting to comment any more about it, having made the accusation himself. He is a former uh, lawyer for the Clintons on the Clinton events team in the 1990s, um, particularly in the Monica Lewinsky scandal and the rest of that situation as a private lawyer at the firm Williams & Connolly here in Washington, D.C. And there really isn't much more information about it beyond that because the victim says it didn't happen. Judge Kavanaugh, now Justice Kavanaugh, has not commented on it, and I don't expect him to do so. But really it follows in a pattern from what we've seen um, you know, from those two reporters themselves. You know, In reporting out Search and Destroy, one of the things that I looked into was another friend of Robin Pogerbin, the author of that book, the New York Times reporter, a friend of hers, a, a classmate of hers, and a friend of Deborah Ramirez, who accused Kavanaugh of sexual assault, and of Kavanaugh, is, his name is Karen Savage. And she was saying that the New York Times reporters approached her, that Robin Pogerbin approached her without identifying herself as a Times reporter. So I really see this latest event as just the most recent occurrence in a pattern of kind of duplicitous and deceitful behavior on behalf of these reporters. Now, the New York Times at the time ran interference with those reporters and said, no, 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 no. These people that are saying that they didn't do their jobs correctly, that they didn't properly identify themselves as reporters are making stuff up. But the people that are saying that Brett Kavanaugh assaulted someone, they're not making stuff up. They're kind of picking and choosing the facts and presenting them as they seem fit, as they deem fit. All right, let's go back. Christine Blasey Ford, who was she and, and why did she say what she said? Well, Christine Blasey Ford was the first and primary accuser of Brett Kavanaugh alleging sexual assault nearly a year ago now. And last September, her allegations became widespread public knowledge. But first, she in July went to the Washington Post attempting to get attention through an encrypted app. And I published the encrypted messages that she wrote to the Post trying to get attention in the back of the book, Search and Destroy, for people to consider in full context. 
When she failed to get attention, she linked up with Deborah Katz, an attorney here in Washington, D.C., and after doing so, then the allegations started to spread. First, it appeared online in a blog called The Intercept. Then Senator Feinstein said, oh, yes, I've heard about that, and I've referred it on to the people responsible. And then at that point, folks like me who work in the national press that are reporters didn't bother investigating the truth or falsity of the matter. They simply reported it as, will this help him? Will this hurt Judge Kavanaugh's nomination? How will it affect things? And cable news did the same. So before anyone was ever able to investigate it, it spread like wildfire. But now, since that whole situation, that whole controversy unfolded, when Christine Blasey Ford said she was motivated to come forward out of a sense of civic duty, and her attorney said she was ambivalent about coming forward, one of the things that I uncovered in this book was Deborah Katz, the attorney for Christine Blasey Ford, saying that Ford was in fact motivated in part by Roe versus Wade and the right to obtain an abortion. Now, exactly how does that motivate you to testify? Yeah, I think that's a really important question why that would be something that would make her want to come forward with an allegation of sexual assault isn't really clear to me. And one of the reasons why we don't know the answer to that is because Christine Blasey Ford has yet to face an adversarial question. It's one of the reasons why she succeeded in getting so far as she did in making some of the allegations that she made. You know, remember last fall when she was testifying on national TV, she was always flanked by her attorneys and she, when she appeared on national television, and she only ever faced sympathetic questions sympathetic questions from Democrats and from the Republican side of the aisle through sex crimes prosecutor Rachel Mitchell, who asked probing questions, but they were sympathetic ones. One of the things that really turned the tide for Republicans and conservatives was Michael Avenatti. And importantly, um, you know, in, in reporting this out, I keep hearing about how Avenatti really helped Republicans stay in line because he brought forward an accuser making wild claims about teenage gang rape parties, and that accuser's name was Julie Swetnick. Her allegations began to crumble when she went on national television alone, without an attorney, and faced questions from an investigative journalist who didn't feel the same pressure to believe the woman. The believe the woman narrative that you can't skeptically question an accuser. That reporter didn't face that same pressure, questioned the accuser uh, at length, and the allegations crumbled. The same hasn't happened to Christine Blasey Ford. Now let me ask you something. I mean, you've done obviously a lot of research in doing this book. What, if anything, happened between Christine Blasey Ford and, and Brett Kavanaugh? To the extent that we can you know, judge the full light of evidence, there isn't uh, anyone who is able to corroborate anything ever happening between the two of them. That's one of the things that really drove me to write this book was, you know, throughout this whole situation, Christine Blasey Ford has been saying she can't say exactly where this happened. She doesn't remember precisely when this happened. And when it gets to the what of what happened here, she is the only one that has ever been able to say that something actually happened. Everyone that she has pointed to as being able to corroborate her story has either been unable to do so or they've said that Christine Blasey Ford is not telling the truth. So then I wanted to try to find out, the well, why is this happening? Why is she doing this? And how did this happen? And that's really what I started to dig into in Search and Destroy. And then when I began to realize that that narrative had changed, too, that that was inconsistent, that her motivation was perhaps in part out of a political motivation that she hadn't previously revealed, that was what I really tried to dig into and better explain to people that had watched this at the time and not been privy to so many of the things that I was. Senate Democrats, what do they truly believe in their hearts? Any idea? I'm not quite sure. You know, we've seen them in the last couple of days call again for Justice Kavanaugh's now impeachment. 
One of the things that I really tried to do was to explain precisely when and how they got involved in this process. One of the questions that I think so many folks had at the time of the hearings last year and even in the aftermath of them was, why didn't the full Senate Judiciary Committee have Christine Blasey Ford's allegation sooner? Why did Senate Democrats sit on the allegation? And one of the things that I found was Deborah Katz's private email to Senator Feinstein's staff directing them to share the private allegation with Republicans. Now, the time at which Deborah Katz directed that, it was after Deborah Katz had appeared on TV on cable news. It was after Christine Blasey Ford, Blasey Ford had outed herself in the Washington Post. And it was after her attorney had been talking to me as a reporter. So she had pursued going to the reporters and the press before going out there to the American people, before going to the uh, entities responsible for vetting this nomination. And I think that's something that's really important because it shows the point at which Senate Democrats got involved. And it also shows them willing to kind of defer so much of their judgment to an outside lawyer, an outside actor who isn't part of the government in Deborah Katz. Does anybody care that a man's reputation was ruined? Because no matter what, it's been severely damaged. Listen, I was driving over the weekend, and I hear the New York Times as if it's a report, there's another accusation. And, you know, commentators was almost say, well, something has to be true. Does anybody care? I know you do. I don't know, but I think they, I think they should. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I'm not sure whether or not there will ever be a full investigation into precisely all the people responsible for making some of these allegations and amplifying them. I've seen Senator Tillis since the publication of Search and Destroy come out and say there's some things in here that need for, you know, looking into, and whether or not they ever actually get looked into a full investigation by the Senate or the Senate Judiciary Committee might be entirely dependent on whether Democrats go through with their um, claims about impeachment. But whether or not anyone cares, I think they should for a few reasons. You know, the first is it's only going to happen again and get worse if there's another vacancy, and especially if that vacancy is before the 2020 election. And then I think it's also really important as we get closer to the anniversary of all of this having happened, of the anniversary of the hearings, of the allegations of Justice Kavanaugh's confirmation, there are going to be a number of stories in the press, in books, and on television trying to tell people what the true story of who this man is and what actually happened. And that's why in my book, one of the things that I tried to do is provide information and not affirmation. And in the back of Search and Destroy, when I'm publishing an email that's private that has never been made public before, I put the full context of it in the back so people can read through it themselves and see that it's not being spun to them one way or the other, quoted out of context. Now, who's coordinating the opposition, let's say, to Kavanaugh? Who coordinated it? Well, there are several different groups, and it's one of the things that makes Justice Kavanaugh's nomination experience so different from his predecessors. Just before Justice Kennedy retired, a new group on the left formed called Demand Justice. It's led by a former Hillary Clinton campaign flack named Brian Fallon. And even before Kavanaugh was picked, Fallon and his group announced that they were going to spend $5 million opposing whoever the nominee would be. And he was saying at the time that it was important to build the muscle memory around organizing around the courts so that they could fight off whatever might come going forward and in the years to come. And they continue to get involved in the 2020 race. Another big group is called Megaphone Strategies. They're a so-called social justice PR firm here in Washington, D.C. that was founded by Van Jones. And folks might remember the first set of hearings last year, all of the protesters screaming and shouting and trying to prevent the Kavanaugh hearings from ongoing. And this PR firm was responsible for those protesters. Every time Capitol Police would haul someone out, they would send emails to reporters in the press like me telling us the new arrest tally and saying, would you like to speak to this celebrity actress that's just been arrested? And they're two of the newer groups that have emerged on the scene. But as we got from the summer to the fall last year, folks from the Clinton administration, 
uh, like Michael Bromwich, private attorneys, joined the picture. FKD Knickerbocker, which is a Democratic PR firm in town, also got involved in counseling and advising Christine Blasey Ford directly. And I expect that all of those groups that organized around this Rise Up for Roe tour about abortion last year will continue to be involved in the process about judicial nominations and the Supreme Court going forward. Where's the money coming from? Well, from a few different sources, one of which we've seen there's connections to George Soros' various foundations, um, and we've seen money from the left also being organized through a, a lot of number, a, a widespread number of individual tiny groups from NARAL, from Planned Parenthood, from other folks that are organizing around this Rise Up for Row tour. And in some cases, they're using the Act Blue platform to get small money donations from folks across the country. But they're also relying on some of the big Democratic donors that are responsible for helping to put uh, you know, Hillary Clinton in a Democratic nomination seat in 2016 and are going to be trying to direct precisely what happens in the 2020 primary for Democrats now. Now, in, in all your research, are there any accusations of Brett, Brett Kavanaugh that maybe should have been researched, researched further? Well, I think they were all researched. That's one of the most important parts of this, too, is there's constantly the question of, well, why didn't the FBI look into this? And the FBI did. And the FBI had several times. He'd gone through several different investigations. And the Senate also uh, you know, did its full investigation of all of these different accusations. And so certainly any allegation against a you know, judicial nominee should be looked into, and it was. Um, you know, precisely what wasn't investigated further that we keep hearing about from the left and in um, some of these stories and things oftentimes falls once it goes under the full transparency and kind of really gets investigated. And by that, what I mean to say is we've seen with The New York Times in this latest bombshell allegation this weekend fall apart as soon as people said, well, what does the alleged victim say? And what the alleged victim said in this most recent allegation brought forward that was never given to Senator Grassley and the Judiciary Committee, the victim said they had no recollection of it to their friends, and the victim has failed to confirm that they are, in fact, the victim. And so so many times when folks say there's more here that needs looking into, the reason why some things weren't looked into is because the people involved said they didn't happen. The name of the book, Search and Destroy, Inside the Campaign Against Brett Kavanaugh, the author, Ryan Lovelace, thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Thanks for having me. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. In 1948, the U.N. published the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, stating that, quote, Everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of person. And it also states, everyone has the right to recognition everywhere as a person before the law. Isn't it time for nations to pay attention to these statements when they craft their policies on abortion? 
This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, a few weeks ago, my wife and I were home. We were watching TV, and there was a you know one of the great musicals of all time, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. And there was one dancer that was particularly impressive, and her name was Julie Newmeyer. And whatever happened to her? Well, she's on the show right now. What happened to Julie Newmeyer? Well, good morning, Mike. You must have good eyes because being the tallest girl of all the seven, I was in the back, hid, practically hidden. <laughs> That's my story. But Seven Brides, oh, what a lovely film. I'm so pleased and happy to have that as part of my life and biography, whatever these things are. Now, how did you get the part in that film? Because I was a good dancer. I was the best dancer of all the dancers. That was a film that's unusual because the MGM was kind of going into its uh, down period between the the bright and beautiful um, Technicolor mu- uh, musicals, and it was going into a dark period, and they didn't really want to fund this film. Because it had dancers, hello, men as dancers, that was might not come across to the American public. But this is one of the, when I look at this film today, and I look at those men, the dancers, and Howard Keel, uh, I, it's one of the lustiest films I've ever seen. So there's a, they pack a lot of power in uh, as well, choreography. <laughs> well, I think all kids should see it. But, uh, it, it. It's such a beautiful film. It looks best on the big screen. I have an 85-inch screen right here in front of me in my bedroom. And, well, the bigger the screen, the better it looks. What's up, Mike? Tell me. <laughs> well, I don't know, but what happened to you after, after Seven Brides for Seven Brothers? Are you kidding? No. I grew up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> television. I really started off on the stage. Um, Yes, in New York. And, well, I was lucky enough to get a Tony Award for a very popular comedy called Marriage Ground with two of the biggest Hollywood stars, Charles Boyer and Claudette Colbert. It's interesting because this was, mm, well, I was a in the play, a Swedish girl who comes to America and and wants the professor, played by Charles Boyer, to father her child. Well, he's happily married, and anyways, it made a good comedy for two hours in the evening, and um, uh, that's the story about the stage. Now, you did a film version of that, but the different actors, different lead actors with you. Yes, yes. Um, James Mason, 
Susan Hayward. Uh, Mason was remarkable to work with. A very, very giving, very helpful, very... I think the bigger and better the artist or you are, the more generous has been my experience. I experienced that also with Lucille Ball when I was doing a television series called uh, The Living Doll on her studio. Lu uh, Dizzy Jesse Lou. Lou. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Very generous people. Now, of course, a lot of people today... They probably remember you as as the Catwoman. Why not? Well, why why not is is true. But how how did you get that role and and what was it like being on Batman? Well, you know, there's always one role that you do in your life of 170 performances, this this that and the other that people remember. Now maybe they remember the the the, the costume or something because it looks like black licorice poured over me, but. Uh, <clears throat> All in all, it was a, well. It was the most popular television series of its time. It, actually, I won't tell you the date. It seems 68, 66, 68. But since there have been so many copies, so many renditions of Batman on film, and and I don't know, this forever. It'll go on forever and ever. It's a wonderful character. Catwoman. It's just a wonderful character to play. And they're doing it again now. As a TV show? No, as a film. Oh, yeah, it was a film, yeah. And Yeah, yeah, and Catwoman is in it, right. And I don't know who's playing a Catwoman in this film. I heard an English actress, but still not sure about it. If you know, let me know. Okay, we'll try to find that out. Mm -hmm. What are you doing today? I understand you have a blog. A blog? Yeah, well, it's Facebook. Am I? Yeah, it's Facebook is quite fun because then there, if the audience is worldwide, it's huge. You, you get new friends, you have new business associates. You, your life just just enlarges enormously. So I love the internet. That's my place to perform. That's. That you can say a lot of things. If if you talk politics, boy, people throw it back at you. So you kind of stay away from that. You know, as a someone in the theater, it's not in films. People, I don't know. <laughs> stay away from that. <laughs> okay. Now, what's this? Chris is telling me the birthday portrait. You had a birthday about last month, so belated happy yeah. birthday. Uh, yeah, I'm 86, which is pretty terrific, and. Um, the idea for the portrait, it's me its me on a surfboard. Um, actually, it's out in the back garden, and um, I'm, I'm wearing, well, you have to look at it to see it. It's, it's kind, of, kind of fun, um, spectacular maybe. Mm -hmm. And it just, it's, it's a sweet portrait. You've got to see it. It's, um, can you describe it? Have you seen it? Yes. I don't know how to what's describe it, it, but I guess uh, well, it, it's what's wonderful. It like? Yes. What's, what's it look like to you? <laughs> it's very interesting, and, and you're 86 years old. Yeah. I think you could lie about your age. Oh, but it's more fun to not to. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you get more points at this time in life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not exactly a Vargas girl, but then on the other hand, maybe 
maybe I am, but really it's kind of about um, taking care of yourself, being healthy, and, oh, more importantly, thinking healthy. So, um, ah, the portrait was inspired by another portrait of one of our greatest actresses in, in Gone with the Wind, Olivia de Havilland. She lives in Paris now, and she's, you won't believe this, she's 103. And the loveliest picture of her came out with her white hair kind of piled up and a sweet smile and this lovely dress. And I thought, oh, my goodness, that is so inspiring. I think I'll do something. Let me ask you mm-hmm. one question. People looking at your films, if, if you said, I want somebody mm-hmm. to look at this film to see what talent Julie Newmar has, what film would that be? Golly, you know, I, the other night I was looking at a dance that I did where my body was all painted all in gold. I mean, from top to bottom. You Like Goldfinger, remember? Yes. And it, and it was in a very early Film, um, not McKenna's Gold, uh, but Serpent of the Nile. But if you just see the dance, it's really, really, it's outstanding. For me to say that about myself is, uh, of course, it's very pleasing, but I was just 18, 19 years old, and I choreographed this dance supposedly 2,000 years ago in Egypt. What can you say? So I go. But in order to do that, I went downtown to the library and looked at all the books. Now, you couldn't just with a push of a button that sitting at your, at your computer. You had to really go and do a lot of deep research. Anyway, that's a long answer to a short question, and it's called Serpent of the Nile. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you one question. You brought up McKenna's Gold, and I mean— mm-hmm. That had probably one of the greatest casts of, of any Western. How did you get involved in that picture, and what was it like filming it? Well, that was, I remember one meeting Robert Kennedy. He was, and this is maybe two months before he died, he was touring the country, running for president, and it was kind of exciting for us. I sat next to him at dinner, and Gregory Peck sat on the other side of me, and Robert Kennedy's wife, Ethel, sat opposite me. And, and Robert was very tired from, from going around talking to so many people, you can imagine. <clears throat> and Ethel said to Gregory, she handed him a book, and she said, here, read this poetry. And he kind of pushed himself back in his chair and gave her a kind of a cool look and said, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's too inside a story. But McKenna's School was a, a, a Western that was made on location in Utah and Arizona. Fabulous experience for all of us actors. And probably the thing that stands out is there were more actors that had won Academy Awards uh, playing parts in that film. Um, And I remember it was directed by an Englishman. Jay Lee Thompson? 
Yeah, you've done your homework. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. And I played in India. Well, I'm blonde. I was blonde at the time, but I had brown eyes. So, you know, a wig would change that. And um, that would not happen these days. Mm-hmm. If you, but I played an Apache Indian uh-huh. with a big scar on her face <laughs> who wanted to kill the leading lady. And, uh, well, interesting film. Yeah, you, you could say that. Yeah, it was different. For a Western, it was different. Yes, it was. Yes. So what are you doing today? What am I doing today? I'm writing. I'm um, working on, actually, I'm working on my biography. I was, I've, I've thought about it for about 10 years and got off to kind of false starts. And I don't consider myself a writer. I write, but I'm not really a writer. And I finally found someone, a, a woman who wrote a very interesting biography called The First King of Hollywood. It's, it's the biography of Douglas Fairbanks. And her name is Tracy Gessel. And she's so much fun to work with and to sit with and to go over stories like you're, you're asking me. You know that happened to me when I met Earl Flynn in Cuba before the revolution and, and when we went off to see Superman. And Superman turned out to be, maybe I can't say this on air. <clears throat> well, um, Superman was a famous performer of sexual dexterity. How's that? You like that? <laughs> okay. Anyway, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, okay. Anyway, stories like that, it's, it's lots of fun, and I'm having a wonderful time in my life now. Any idea when you think you'll be finished with your biography memoir? Oh, when it gets finished. I don't know how long it'll take. I'm having too much fun. My gosh, just remembering these stories. And, and there's something about being older you, there's less strings attached to you. There's more truth you can share with people. There's more honesty from a deeper place that makes it okay to embarrass yourself or tell stories, although it's not a tell-all. It is. A, it tells all, but, hmm, gee, well, it, in that sense, only about dead people. I hope you're not following me on that statement, but yeah, you are. Okay. Yes. <laughs> well, we look forward. We look forward to the book, and promise when the book comes out, you'll be back on the show. Oh, you're so kind to me. Thank you. Thank you, Julie Newmar. Thank you for being on Connor's Corner. What a pleasure. Thank you for. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. You know, Beth, I'm looking forward to that memoir by Julie Newmar. I, I think it would be interesting. Ozias, uh, you're a lot younger. Do you remember Julie Newmar? Actually, I do, Mr. Connors. I remember uh, Julie Newmar from the TV series, the Batman series with Adam West. But you were too young to see that series when it first came out. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. But I was uh, lucky enough to be able to watch those series through uh, American M AMC, American Movie Classics. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm a big fan. I got to admit, I'm a big fan of Batman, and I do remember this TV series. <laughs> There were great people, great people on that show. Oh, my gosh. Okay, congratulations again to Chris for getting us Julie Newmar. Thank you so much, Chris. She's she's just 
she's striking in appearance. She is interesting. You know, she's got a, a wonderful personality on the screen. So I just always, whatever she's in, she's a standout. And again, getting back to Brett Kavanaugh, it's amazing to me how easily the press is cooperating in slandering or libeling, depending on which medium we're using. Oh, my this guy. Goodness. I mean, somebody but makes a comment, and then it's printed as if it's true. Retractions are then made. You know, it's, it's, it, it's very sad. And, of course, what the, the question is going to be, what, what's going to happen on the next Supreme Court nomination? You know, what are we going to go through then? They're, gonna, they're trying to scare people away from not wanting to be what happened to him. Well, anybody with the right mind would have to think twice about before accepting the nomination because, I you know, know. You, you're going to be dragged through the mud. And, of course, if they can find something on a family member, they're going to drag your family through the mud, depending on the circumstances. So that's the political world that we live in right now. So anyway, thanks again to Ryan Lovelace, reporter for the National Law Journal, Search and Destroy, Inside the Campaign Against Brett Kavanaugh. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. We'll be on again next week at the same time. Thank you, everybody. Y'all take care. Have a nice day, everybody. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. Ask the lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors and Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills, and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors and Sullivan's free seminars. On Tuesday, September 24th at Lenny's Clam Bar, 161-03, Cross Bay Boulevard in Howard Beach at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. On Wednesday, September 25th at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. at Connolly's Corner, 71-17 Grand Avenue in Maspeth. And on Friday, September 27th, at the Adria, 221-17 Northern Boulevard in Bayside at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Plan now for later. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.